Welcome, everyone, to the next Your Amigos podcast. Uh, Tom and I are joined by Andrea Apollo, and this is the second of our post-bladder uh, cancer ODAC podcasts that are coming sort of hot off the press. The meeting's just finished. Just finished. If you listen to our last uh, podcast with Jorge, we talked a little more in general terms about the ODAC structure and how voting is done in the briefing book and sort of how you know members might approach data and the biases and the questions and such, and then dug into a little bit of the the issue at hand about the accelerated approvals of pembrolizumab and atezolizumab. And now we're joined by Andrea Apollo, who is uh, a voting member of the meeting. Um, Andrea, I'm going to have you introduce yourself, and then we can sort of kick off and talk about some of the specifics of this particular meeting. Sure. Uh, my name is Andrea Apollo. I'm a medical oncologist at the National Cancer Institute in Bethesda, Maryland. And Andrea... And- Apollo is the, I didn't realize this, Apollo is the Greek god of healing, of course. I never put that link together. Is that, is that why you got your job? That's, that's right. That's right. I, never, and, I never thought of that before. Isn't that terrific? And Andrea was our first paper of the month podcast. So it was, and it was a terrific paper. I, I yes, think that yes. we got a lot of listens to that podcast. Oh, it was Andrea. my honor. Yeah, no, it was a great piece of work. Great piece of work. So, so Andrea, take us through... Um, I think the audience generally knows what the context is, but maybe sort of just give us a brief summary of, you know, you're, you're sort of close to this accelerator approval process and what it means and what, what were the issues at hand and, and, you know, that the FDA was struggling with in this particular circumstance, sort of set the stage as, as you would have been set as an ODAC member. Sure. Um, I think that this meeting was, was very important and, and I'm, I, I have to commend the FDA for calling an ODAC meeting to discuss the issues because it, it's not so clear cut as to what, what, what is the best, looking at the data, what is the best decision uh, to make to help our patients. And, and I think that that, that is a very difficult uh, decision to make with the data that we have. So we had um, two sessions today. The first one was on pembrolizumab for the first line treatment of patients with uh, metastatic urethral carcinoma that are cisplatinum ineligible and are PDL1 high or are ineligible to receive any kind of platinum-based chemotherapy. So that was the first one. And the second one was in the same setting uh, with atezolizumab. And, um, you know, looking at removing the indication because the the phase three trials that were agreed upon the comp- between the company and uh, the FDA to uh, make the final decisions as to whether the wh- whether the indication stays um, did not meet the the primary endpoint. So those were the two meetings um, and I guess we can talk a little bit in detail as to the first one and the second one um, as we go along. Andrea, Brian and I both listened to both meetings and I felt the some of the challenges in the um, 361 meeting, the pembrolizumab meeting, was while pembrolizumab had a lot of robust data in urethelial cancer with um, Keynote 45 um, and, of course, the frontline, appro- sorry, the non-muscle invasive approval of a single-arm trial, the frontline setting, the 361 trial, um, wasn't successful uh, in, uh, and um, and and I guess that that piece there was and, and the biomarker didn't work very well. The drug didn't look like it was um, performing better than carboplatin-based chemotherapy. Uh, how does how how do you feel that discussion went? Yeah, and this is something that this this was one of the questions that I asked because my feeling was, how about if we wait a little bit longer? 
will the data is the with the OS data, you know, maybe show some positivity, um, depending with with a little bit longer follow up, because the keynote 361 data was the frontline study, it was a three arm trial chemo plus Pembro versus Pembro versus chemo. And, you know, the hope was um, that this trial um, would also lead to approval, not only to the combination of Pembro and chemo, but also to Pembro uh, as uh, the frontline treatment for cisplatinum ineligible patients. And, and this was something that was um, agreed upon and discussed, but I agree. And, and, and this is something that we need to need to always keep in mind is that the biomarker did not um, help the study. And um, this, the, the biomarkers that are used for the, the, that were used for the Keno 361 study with Pembro is different than the biomarker that is used for the atezolizumab study, the Invigor 130. And, and, um, and, and, and I, think that that biomarker actually at that point helped, which it hasn't in the past, but in that, in, in this instance, it actually did help. Um, so I think it, it makes it very difficult to interpret these studies when there's a predefined endpoint and the study, for example, could still show a benefit, a numerical benefit, you know, maybe two months or three months, but it's not statistically significant. It's not the way that the trial was designed. So it's negative, even though you're seeing a tail and, and a, a, a tail in the curve and, and you're seeing that there, there numerically there is a benefit. Um, some would argue that that you know still the trial is negative, and and that's and that's that's true, um, and I think that's where it gets very difficult to make the final decisions and pull it away from patients. Andrea, Andrea well, you go, Brian. Uh, uh, two questions. One is how much did you you voted yes? By the way, this was five to three yes for Pembro. That's correct. how much did the positive data in other settings, i.e., non-muscle invasive bladder cancer and second line influence? sort of your overall view. And then second part of the question is the, the sponsor presented these post-marketing requirement packages basically saying, well, we have all these other studies in different settings or we have long-term follow-up. I mean, how much weight do you give sort of those pending future studies in different settings? Yeah, you know, that was not as compelling. Um, yeah. they, they, they had offered um, potentially three different trials. So, so the Keynote 361 trial, um, did not um, uh, meet uh, the, the endpoint. So they offered, well, you know, we have other trials. We have the LEAP-011 uh, trial, which is Pembro plus uh, Levantinib um, versus Pembro. Then we have um, a trial in the neoadjuvant setting, then um, uh, first cisplatinum eligible. Then we have one uh, with, um, in combination with infortumab and Doton in the neoadjuvant setting for cisplatinum ineligible. Can we use those as confirmatory endpoints? And, you know, the FDA rightly said those are not the same setting um, and was really kind of struggling with saying yes to, to using those trials um, to, for, for the indication of first-line metastatics as platinum ineligible. Um, but I, I know that Pembro is active. And, you know, when you look at the data, um, it, it doesn't show you that it is superior to chemotherapy, but at least it shows you that it's as good and I think that's very important when you have a patient in front of you and you're trying to make a decision. Now, I, I'm, and I said this when I, when I made, said, said my vote for yes, I give chemotherapy in the frontline setting. Um, I, I often try to sway patients away from immunotherapy because I think that they are going to have better outcomes with chemotherapy, but, um, you know, followed by maintenance immunotherapy or second line immunotherapy. 
but it's still important to have that option for patients um, because a lot of patients fear chemotherapy, prefer not to receive any treatment if they're not going to get immunotherapy. And there's a small subset of patients that can't get any chemotherapy. So Andrea, difficult question for you. So the new data, um, sorry, the, the, the current existing trial was negative and it hasn't fulfilled that essential requirement of accelerated approval. Um, and if it came with a new approval, I'm not sure, would it get approved? Difficult question for a different day, I guess. Um, and there are no ongoing trials which you feel are compelling. So therefore, I guess your position is, although they've not fulfilled the rules, you're still comfortable to vote yes. So does that mean there's something wrong with the rules? Um, I, I think that the rules are not perfect um, and the, their intention is to give the benefit of the doubt in the setting of complicated trial design um, and, and, you know, maybe just, just kind of the, the population that is being tested, um, you know, just it didn't pan out for that study. Um, so I think they are more than fair. Um, but um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know necessarily if the combination of Pembroke plus Levantinib um, being positive really um, would would really uh, support uh, the indication of Pembro as monotherapy in in the cisplatinum ineligible setting for patients that are PDL one positive. So I, I do think that that can be very difficult to interpret. But I completely understand that they're trying to be as flexible as possible, the FDA, in order to allow um, access of these drugs to patients. And I think if the vote was. We either have to give it full approval today or remove it, it would have lost. But it was still sort of a middle ground of maintaining the accelerated approval as it stands with the caveats around PDL1 positivity, et cetera. And then one thing that came up too was the patients that can't receive platinum based combination therapy. What about them? Um, they would lose this approval too. And that is a, a very underserved population that don't enroll in these trials because they are very frail. And, and, you know, I've, I've seen those patients in my clinic and I've given them immunotherapy and they've done well. So it is a population that, you know, would have lost approval if, if this I, would have been withdrawn. I frankly think that's probably the best argument. And that's what Arjun Balar talked a lot about, spent a lot of time talking about how many patients don't get chemo at all and are unfit, et cetera, think, which we all know. I think Arjun did a fantastic job. Um, so I, I think the, the pushback I'd have on that a little bit, and, and if you could both entertain me with this, um, so why not just give the approval for those patients, you can change the label, uh, to just those patients, a full approval for those patients who can't have carboplatin-based therapy. You don't have to broaden that label. You can change the label and just give it to, so you've got cisplatin eligible, carboplatin eligible, and platinum ineligible as three groups of patients. Why, why not pursue that approach? Well, why and I, to... I, would, I would push you to say, do you have the trial to prove that that works? Well, well, in, in, in Europe, as you know, we haven't got that approval because we've not done that. But I guess you haven't got the trial to approve because you haven't got the confirmatory tri trial to approve um, pembrolizumab in this setting because 361 wasn't successful. So, you know, I guess you, you know, I guess you can't have it both ways. How do you two feel about that? I, I don't disagree. I mean, I, I think, Tom, you're making the argument that the if you can give somebody carbo, you really should be giving them a carbo-based regimen. It's really only those chemo-ineligible patients. Who yeah, and I, I, and I think in globally, pretty much everyone would agree this is an area of huge unmet need, the cisplatin, the, 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 chemo the chemotherapy ineligible patients. And, and, and so yeah. that seems to me to be a common ground, which I think most people would agree on. But Andrea's right. Then we're back into, well, where's the data there? And 
You know, you might say there's so it becomes very complicated. I agree. Brian, more questions before we finish. Just my last question on, on Pembroke. So there are three people who voted against. Um, I guess they were probably were they I mean, because if you're a purist, you would vote against because you've not fulfilled your criteria. Do you think that's the reason they voted against, Andrea? You've, you've come up with, I think, a really compelling argument to vote for. Um, why do you think those three people voted against? I, I can't speak for them, um, sure. but, but the data was negative. I mean, the trial, the confirmatory trial was negative. So yeah. I think they had a valid reason to vote the way they did. Um, yeah, people generally explain their vote, and I, and I just don't remember exactly who voted no and what, what they, they said. But it, it was all the limitations we mentioned, you know, and, and that's it. And, and sitting at that table many times, I mean, there's, there's times where you're listening and saying, man, there's really good arguments to vote yes and really good arguments to vote no. It's exactly why it's at these meetings. So I, I imagine for many members, it's sort of razor thin, you know, how they're voting. So let's move to the Atezo um, piece, um, if we can. Um, Andrea, just talk about how that conversation went, because uh, Brian, you and I both listened to it. And I was a bit nervous about that conversation. And then I was the, the, and, and then the vote kind of went 10 to one. And I thought, well, that, you know, that's uh, I, I don't think that was necessarily wrong. But uh, but I it was just, surprising a little what bit. Did, to what me. did uh, tell me what you thought about that, Andrea, and what you and you how you felt the meeting went? What the key issues were in the Atezolizumab because they are different from the Pembrolizumab data, uh, and how you voted. And and I was actually um, I, I think that the that the data for uh, Pembrolizumab I'm sorry for um, Atezolizumab is, is is stronger. What we have right now in terms of the first line uh, setting cisplatinum ineligible PDL one positive. Um, because these curves, I mean, they look they look really great, um, and it looks like if patients are PDL one positive. Um, Andrea, can I interrupt you there just quickly? So, so for the audience in the atezolizumab, the biomarker positive population, it's about twenty five percent of patients are biomarker positive. The hazard ratio for atezolizumab versus carboplatin based chemotherapy is zero point five three. Um, for pembrolizumab, the biomarker is different. The net is much wider. It's 50% of patients, so twice as many patients are PDL1 positive, but the hazard ratio there in, is, is 0.82. So that, that's justifying your, your statement, which I think is correct. I'm yeah. sorry for interrupting, Andrea. No, no, I'm, I'm glad that you, that you summarized it because um, it, it's, if, if you look at both the PDL1 positive and the PDL1 negative together, which is the intent to treat population um, in cisplatinum ineligible patients receiving monotherapy atezolizumab in the Invigro 130 trial, the, the data looks very similar. I mean, and, and the hazard ratio is one. Um, but, but, you know, as, as these trials do, they cross over, right? They cross over the Atezo people uh, do worse initially, but then they cross over at about a year and it has to do with the mechanism of action of the drugs and, you know, the durability of, of these therapies. But the, the going back um, to, to the whole data put together, um, I think the data looked stronger with atezolizumab um, in this particular setting, but it really got picked on a lot because of the trial design and the hierarchical trial design. And, and, you know, Rick Pastor, I think got frustrated in the end because we had so many questions about <laughs> the trial hierarchical design. And, and what, what does that mean? Does, does the, does the third one, if it's, if the second one is negative, can we not interpret this, the, the third, the third question? And, and the point was that, it doesn't matter if, um, you know, the, the third or the fourth are, are negative. Right now, the way that they agreed that if a Tizo plus chemo is positive, 
and in terms of OS, then the label stays. And even it's not the same indication, it's, it's monotherapy, the label, the label, they get, right. they get a two for one, which is great news for the company. We blame Tom for that hierarchical design in the last <laughs> podcast. You missed it. Yes, I had. Uh, yeah, I, I was pointed out. I had a quick look at the at the uh, the data, and I found my uh, my work featured quite heavily in this in this <laughs> this dangling uh, this dangling ODAC meeting. So, I, I think I was me, the most me, most published the, author in the, in this particularly the most um, negatively yeah, published. Yes, author exactly. Perhaps, but <laughs> slightly embarrassing. So let me let me ask. I asked you that question before about Pembroke because I I kind of view it almost the opposite way. You say I think Atezo has stronger data. Definitely has a better biomarker. I will give you. But but Pembro has two positive trials in bladder cancer, right? 057 and non-muscle invasive in second line. But we're talking about a different indication, right? I mean, I'm just well, talking- Well, we're, we're mixing indications all over the place here, right? Because but we're look, talking about different look, trials and combinations this- and different indications. My question was, you know, how how much in your vote or just in your general way of thinking, do you think about those other indications, right? Pembro has- non-muscle invasive and second line, either of which you could say confirms the benefit of pembro monotherapy and bladder cancer, whereas Atezo has negative second line and adjuvant, or, or do you just sort of throw that out? No, it's not that I, I throw it out, but I do try to, as much as possible, look at the activity in the indication that I'm being asked, because I think that that is where I serve the patients the best. And I know that, that pembro is active in the second line, and that was not a question. And, and, and we know that pembro is active altogether. But is it helping patients in the frontline setting, uh, you know, versus chemotherapy? That was really the question, because if they take it away, then the patient, all they have, if they're not eligible for cisplatinum, is just carboplatinum plus gemcitabine. And, and although I don't necessarily think that Pembro is the best first choice, I think it should remain a choice for patients in this setting. Andrea, one of the interesting things that I think that um, uh, Jorge said, he didn't say that much interesting in the previous podcast, but, well, <laughs> <laughs> but, but one, of the, uh, one of the most interesting things he said was actually for him, the Atezolizumab program was based on quite weak ground because they haven't had these positive trials that Pembrolizumab have had. And that without a single positive trial in bladder cancer for monotherapy, it's difficult for him to recommend monotherapy for his patients. What's your take on that? That's an interesting way of thinking about it. Um, I, I would argue that, although this wasn't up for debate, that, that Atezo is active in the second line setting too. I know that it, 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 had, it got withdrawn from the FDA, but you know, we saw the, the tails and the curves and these patients were receiving benefit and durable benefit from the therapy. Now it wasn't designed as an inferiority trial and maybe it couldn't have been, I'm not sure why it wasn't, uh, maybe that's not an option, but you know, this is as active, I would say as chemotherapy. So I think that it's active in the second line, even though the trial was negative. And again, I, I just keep on going back to this. I think it has a lot to do with trial design and biomarker use. And Invigor 211 was very negative because of the biomarker use. Now, we can't say that for Invigor 010, right, which is the adjuvant trial of atezolizumab, mm-hmm. because they did take all comers. Um, and, and why that was negative, we're not sure. Um, but, you know, it, we don't have the long term. Yeah, we have a podcast on that as well. I'm sadly, <laughs> sadly, I was involved in that trial as well. I'm, I'm <laughs> sensing a theme here. I think one of the things that's plagued the field is this very inconsistent biomarker, right? In- inconsistently defined, inconsistently applied, and really inconsistent results if you're quote-unquote biomarker positive, right? It's not like maybe lung cancer, which I don't know the data as well, but it seems to be more consistent in terms of the use of the biomarker. We're still not sure how to use biomarkers in, in bladder cancer. Am I right? No, That's, I think you're absolutely yeah. right. 
Yeah. That's correct. And there's been inconsistency with the atezolizumab biomarker and the pembrolizumab biomarker. Um, Andrea, so I think just to summarise your position, um, it's fair to say, I think, that you've looked at this and you voted positively for both. You see there's a patient need. You accept that we haven't hit the letter of the law, um, but the, the spirit of the law is the drugs are active and the trials could have been designed better. And under those circumstances, they probably would have been positive. And therefore, from a patient perspective, you look at this posit positively and you want to keep this in your armory, particularly for those chemotherapy ineligible patients. Um, is I have it fair? One... Oh, go ahead. You know, I just, what, well, my second to last question was going to be what do you think the FDA are going to do? But Brian, do you want to go first? Um, yeah. I, my final question is how much do you think? the great tolerance of single agent immune therapy and the sort of anecdotal miracle responses really contribute. We, we agree there's an unmet need, but if this was targeted drug X with some hand, foot and diarrhea, do you think people would view it as favorably? You know, is there a little bit of a halo around immune therapy here? Perhaps rightly so because of tolerance right. entail. I think you're absolutely right. I think it, it, it is um, more, more tolerable and, 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 you know, some patients have no side effects, although, although I've, I, I think that's rare for me that I've had patients without any any side effects. Sure. <laughs> you get something, um, and and some of them, some of these can be really bad, but so much better tolerated than a TKI, um, better tolerated than chemotherapies. Um, I don't have to hospitalize patients after they right. develop neutropenic fever. So I think it is um, better tolerated, and I think that that definitely contributes to looking at it favorably for patients. Yeah, especially in these, I mean, the unmet need in bladder are really exactly. poor performance status patients, et cetera, more, so especially right. in those patients. Correct. Yeah. Right. Um, so, um, Jorge, uh, we've got a, um, we've got a 10-1 and we've got a 5-3. The FDA will sit down with these votes, I guess. Um, and clearly you can't say what the FDA are going to do and clearly this needs to be taken with, of course, a pinch of salt. And, but as a, um, as a fun type exercise, if you were in a <laughs> position of ultimate power, uh, um, what, uh, what would you do if you were the FDA? I think the FDA um, is, takes everybody's um, input you know, into consideration. Um, they, the committee not only was uh, um, uh, involved medical oncologists, but also urologic oncologists um, and medical oncologists that don't treat bladder cancer, which I think is interesting because you know, they have a, a different perspective and objective view, but it also included patient advocates. So I think they take the whole package. And again, I really commend them for their difficult work because they can never win. You know, they either they either don't do it right or, you know, you can never make everybody. You could put it differently and compare it to Europe. And you say that this accelerated approval, you're getting access to drugs earlier. And I think you are winning in many ways. And I think that that and I think the, I agree with you. I think the FDA needs to be commended. I don't want to be rude about the EMA. The EMA does a good job. They're very rigid about what they do. And, and I think they've moved quickly in, in, in this in this respect as well. So this is not a Europe versus America thing. But I, I think sometimes you guys are pretty hard on yourselves, NODAC and the FDA. I think you guys are doing a fantastic job. No, I completely agree. And I, 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 and I really like how they're so transparent and they listen to everybody. And honestly, I usually see from from their history, they listen to the ODAC. Yeah. And I think the FDA is sometimes in a no-win position because it's like, hey, you guys are too tough. You need to approve all these drugs sooner to get them to patients. But then on the other side, it's like, wait a minute, you're approving these things too early. So and we need definitive data. So it's a bit of a no-win circumstance. But so I'm going to ask you both this question. So will both drugs go the same way? 
or one had a 5-3, one had a 10-1. 10-1 seems to be relatively straightforward. Do you think, what do you think the chances of 5-3 going the different direction? I think they'll go the same way. And I think they'll maintain their approvals. But remember, they have to have confirmation. And I think, the, the, you know, the confirmation is coming really soon for the, the Invigo 130. And the confirmation is going to be probably delayed a little bit um, with years, the yeah. 011 um, trial for the Pembroke. So hard so, to say, but I would say they would look at the data once it's available. So, Andrea, it's possible that in a year's time, the Pembrolizumab Labs the only airport too. I don't know when 130 is reading out. I'm, I'm not involved. They said, uh, they said a year. Is a year. So it's in a year's time, we could have Pembrolizumab Labs the only drug here. Possibly. Possible. Possibly. Although you said previously you preferred the Atezolizumab data, and it got <laughs> 10 to 1 versus 5 to 3. I, I think the data looks more intriguing with the atezolizumab in this setting in the system. No, no, sure. No, no, no. We've, we've said pembrolizumab. We've said pembrolizumab. Fantastic drug. Positive forty-five, negative two eleven. You know, gold standard. Level one A evidence. Second line. So I'm not. We're not, we're not suggesting for a second that one drug is better than another. We're just looking at this particular data set. Andrea, and to be honest, I don't think that one is better than the other. I think they're the same. It's just a matter of how the data was looked at and how the trial was designed. And I think the pragmatic FDA will go down the same route, and that's why I suspect they'll make the same decision for both drugs, in my opinion. Yes. But, I, but what, do I, what do I know what's going to happen in the future? I guess wrong all the time. <laughs> Not um, much. Exactly right. Listen, I wanted to, and Andrea, I wanted to thank you for, you know, obviously you've just finished the long meeting. You've come straight out. I wanted to thank Jorge um, on the previous one, who also did a fantastic job. This has been a really interesting session. I've learned so much today. Uh, about this process, which I think is is terrific, and and you guys um, do a terrific job. So uh, congratulations, Andrea. Thanks for yep. joining us. It'd be lovely if we could chat with you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks. I'm, I'm I don't know if I'm honoured more at being at ODAC or being here. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I they know both the pay about the question. same. That is zero. <laughs> yeah, I think I know the answer to that question. It begins with the letter O. <laughs> Thank you, Andrea. Appreciate it. Andrea, it's lovely. Bye. Take care. Bye bye.